Here it is. Well, I'm so glad the Pattons are here this morning, John and Wendy and their tribe, and that we get to celebrate them as I do this missionary text that wasn't on purpose, but I'm glad it was in the Lord's good providence that I get to speak on this while they are here. So make sure, as we noted, that you get to talk to them after the service uh, during the reception. So the missionary text is the very end of Matthew chapter 9, the very end of Matthew chapter 9. And uh, this is the question I will end with. Um, What would the Lord have you ask him for? So based on the Lord's compassion that we'll see in this text, based on Jesus' compassion for you and for them, what would he have you ask for? What would the Lord have you be praying for? Four, based on his compassion. It might be relief from a affliction. Might be release from a temptation that's been hounding you and harassing you. Might be recovery from a disease. Might be for somebody else that's suffering from one of those things. What would the Lord have you be asking As we have gone through Matthew 8 and 9 uh, since December, there are more than 11 healing narratives. Uh, Healing or uh, casting out demons, miraculous works from Jesus. There are more than 11 in in these passages. And and I shared with you when we started, uh, we started I think the first week in December, I kind of shared that I, I feel this tension when I'm teaching on these miracle passages that I'm like, that just doesn't match up with my experience a lot of the time. So we read about Jesus cleansing the leper, or we read about Jesus making a blind man see, or a deaf man hear, and I'm like, I, I just don't experience that a lot. And so I just had to this tension with these texts. And I don't know if you remember the first week of December, uh, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to get the dates wrong, but I'm going to take a risk and say it. Um, I remember the, the Wednesday or Thursday before I preached on this first text in Matthew chapter 8, Leslie Samuelson had her aneurysm. And we were praying for her and praying for her and um, you know, preached on the text, and then the next day or two she passed away. And then we did our funeral later on in the week. The tension, okay, that's the tension I feel with these healing passages. What do you do with, but that's not how, that's not what we experience. So here's, here's how I, here's how I understand the Bible. So, so this is like how I understand the big biblical timeline and where we are in the Bible's timeline. So there is a time before Sadness and sorrow and sickness and death and disease. There's a time before that when God had created a good heavens and a good earth. We call this the Garden of Eden. So in the Garden of Eden, there was, everything was good and perfect. It was before sin had entered the world, before God had cursed the earth. It was, everything was right and perfect. There will be a time after sin and sickness 
and sorrow and disease and death. We call this heaven, you know, at the consummation of all things, when God brings everything to its fullness and remakes the heavens and the earth, then there will be a time after sickness and sorrow and disease and death. But we live in between the trees. So in in the beginning, in Eden, they lived near the tree of life. At the end, we will eat of the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. So that's why we say, like, we live between the trees. But you know what happened was how everything got broken was we ate of the fruit, we ate of the forbidden fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so sin and Sorrow and disease and death and suffering and brokenness entered the world. And we have been suffering and interacting with sickness and sadness ever since. But Jesus saw us in our plight and did not leave us there. He came and showed the kingdom of heaven and told about the kingdom of heaven. So what I think Jesus is doing in his ministry here in Matthew chapter 8 and 9 is he is showing what the kingdom of heaven will be like. What it will be like when God finally fully asserts his will. So when God does this, Jesus is showing when he heals a blind man, he's saying this is what heaven will be like. When Jesus makes the deaf hear, he's saying, this is what heaven will be like. When Jesus raises the dead, he's saying, this is what heaven will be like. When Jesus cures leprosy so that the man can re-enter a community, he's saying, this is what heaven will be like. He is showing the kingdom. He's also telling about the kingdom. And so in 5 through 7, you have a large block of Jesus teaching, which can be summarized in Matthew 4, verse 17, where Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because when God returns, he will assert his will, and so you want to repent so that you're not judged, but you're blessed. Okay, so then, so Jesus does his earthly ministry, which concludes with him dying for our sins, rising again. And so he pays for our sin, and he conquers death, and so where we are right now is we are on mission, seeking the lost, we're um, laborers in the vineyard, we're trying to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus, because God will return and judge the living and the dead, and some people, I mean, if you're not saved, hell is what awaits. The, the Bible is really clear, and the wrath of God is waiting for that. Like, so we want people to get saved and know the Lord so that they're not judged. And so God is patiently giving us time to be on mission and while we wait. And while we wait, we are, of course, still dealing with sadness and sickness and sorrow and death. So we live between the trees and we're on mission. Okay, so that's how I understand Jesus' ministry versus where we are right now, we're waiting for Jesus to return. Okay, so let's pick it up here in Matthew chapter 9. But before we do, let me pray. Lord, there are many here who are burdened for others, who are afflicted, diseased, 
crushed by sorrow and sickness and just, just different brokenness in their life. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you talk over me while I talk to them, show them your glory anew so that they see your compassion. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Remember, you're asking, what would, what would the Lord have you be asking for based on his compassion? And Jesus went through all the cities and villages. So I want you to see, first of all, that Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him. He went to them like a missionary. And Jesus went through all the cities and the villages. He'll send his disciples, but first he goes. Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues. Remember, I showed you the timeline there and showed what Jesus did during his ministry was tell about the kingdom and show the kingdom. So here he's telling about the kingdom, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, he tells and he shows. And then the next phrase is he shows and healing every disease and affliction. Like, there is no disease that can stand before Jesus. Jesus is more powerful than anything and everything. Jesus heals all of it. And you see that again and again. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I, I need to read this again, and I need to go slow through this because this is Jesus' heart. This is the center of the message today. This is why I'm asking you to pray based on Jesus' compassion. So when he saw the crowds, well, think of how Jesus saw people. Jesus saw people different than anybody else saw people. Remember back in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus saw the four buddies struggling with the mat, trying to bring their friend who was a paralytic to Jesus. Jesus saw them and had compassion on them. He saw their faith and said to the young man, cured his biggest, deepest, most scary problem, and he said, your sins are forgiven. Remember how he saw him? Remember he saw Matthew, the tax collector, in a way that nobody else saw Matthew, the tax collector. Everybody else looked at him like, the ways that you would look at him in the first century, Jesus saw what he could do in Matthew's life. You looked at him different than anybody else looked at him. Jesus looked at the bleeding woman different than anybody else looked at the bleeding woman. And he healed her. You remember that? Jesus sees the crowds differently than anybody else sees the crowds. He doesn't look down on them. He doesn't complain about them. He doesn't see them as only a giant burden he looks, down, he looks at them, and, and what? He has compassion for them. That word compassion is twin to the word that Jesus uses of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verse 33. So Jesus tells about this guy who's traveling from Jerusalem way up high to Jericho, way down low, scary, mountainous road, and he tells uh, how this guy was jumped by a bunch of thieves and beaten nearly to death, and the religious people walk by and they don't care because they're in a hurry, but then the Samaritan comes by, sees Jesus, has compassion, and what does he do because he has compassion? 
he stops. And he puts wine to disinfect his wounds. And then he puts oil to soothe his wounds. And then he loads him on his donkey. And then he takes him to an inn. And he pays his bill. And he takes care of him. Compassion, the kind of compassion Jesus has, isn't mere feeling bad. It's like an I'm better than you. And I feel bad for you that anybody's like you, and I'm so glad I'm me, and I'm so glad I'm not you. See how that's kind of arrogant? Jesus' compassion is he sees the need and is moved to do something about it. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now why? Why did Jesus have compassion for them? Because they were harassed. What does it mean what does it mean to be harassed? Man, the picture I get from this word is like a big dog chasing you. Sometimes it's biting you and sometimes you're getting away. But it's really scary and awful. Jesus sees the crowds and looks at them like they're harassed, like you're being chased by a big dog. And sometimes a big dog is winning and sometimes you're getting away. Sometimes maybe it's like like a lady that has to work with a bunch of men and she gets a bunch of attention that she really, really, really doesn't want. And sometimes she gets away from it and sometimes she doesn't and it's, it's harassment. Maybe it's like a disease that just keeps coming back and keeps pushing you down and keeps getting you. But sometimes, sometimes it's okay, but most of the time it's getting you. Jesus looks at the crowd sees them, cares for them, has compassion on them because he sees they're harassed. And the Greek word is literally thrown down. They're harassed and thrown down. You know, like a big kid would throw down a little kid. Like a bully a group of bullies would bully the kid they decide to bully. Throw him down. Like, like when you're climbing out of the financial pit that you've been in and you're almost out and then your transmission goes out. And you're thrown back down. And when he saw the crowds, he didn't look down on them. He wasn't annoyed by them. When he, looked, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless and no one cared. No one was looking out for them. Everyone was just trying to use them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. You think of like the Romans. with the Romans looking out for the People of Israel? No, they just saw them as a tax base and as an important land corridor that they could move their troops through when they needed to. Important trading route. Did, did the Sadducees care about the people? No, they just tried to keep the people in line so that the Romans would keep them in power so that they could keep reaping the benefits from the temple. Did the Pharisees care about the people? No, they were just trying to make the people conform to their rules so that when God returned and made Jerusalem the new Rome, they could be in charge of everyone. Did the Essenes care about the people? No, they moved away from the people because the people were so, such a mess so that they could be holy, 
unto themselves. Who cared about the people? No one. Everyone was just trying to use them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus says, we're going to do something about this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of work to do, fellas. Not very many people are working at it. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. Not what I'm expecting. I'm expecting Jesus to say, you got to go do something right now. Go do it. What does Jesus say? Hey, we're going to start with prayer. Not going to run around like chickens with their heads cut off, bleeding and bumping into each other. We're going to start with prayer. Let's start there. Let's make sure our hearts are in the right place. Let's start with prayer. Okay, so as we work through this passage, and you're thinking, like, what would Jesus have me pray for? Here's the one thing that you have to know about Jesus this week. Like, I feel like it'd be malpractice if you walk out of here and don't know this about Jesus. Like, I, I will have gotten it wrong. I will have failed you if you don't walk out knowing this about Jesus. So this is what you have to know about Jesus. Jesus has compassion for people like you and people like them. That's what you have to know about Jesus. Now, what is compassion? Okay, so let's, let's say very clearly what compassion is. Because compassion is not mere pity, where you pity someone else because you feel like you're better than them and you're glad you're not like them. That's, that's not what I mean by compassion. What I mean by compassion is you have sorrow in your heart for where they are and what they're going through, and then you do something for them. And usually that will cost you something. Now, how did Jesus do this? Like, how did Jesus model compassion? Well, he saw people's needs, and then he gave of himself to meet those needs. And you see that again and again and again throughout Matthew 8 and 9. But ultimately, you see that in what he does on the cross. Jesus shows up and takes our place. Now think of this. How, how did Jesus, when he took our place, he became the one who was harassed. Think of how he was harassed by the religious leaders of his day. They hound him and hound him and hound him and follow him around looking for some faults, looking for him to slip up in something he says. They ask him tricky questions, thinking they can get him that way. They, they study him. They entrap him. They do everything they can. And finally, finally, they bribe someone to betray him. And they have this false trial and, and they beat him and they turn him over to the Romans. And then what do the Romans do with him? do with him. Think of what the Roman soldiers do to him as they beat him and mock him and put the crown of thorns on him 
and whip him and have him carry his own cross out there. Think of how he was harassed for us. Think of how he is harassed on the cross as they say, save yourself. I mean, if you're the Christ, go ahead and save yourself. He took our place and was harassed for us. He took our place and was thrown down for us as he's thrown down onto the cross and nailed to it and dies in our place. When you think of Jesus and when you think of praying, think of his compassion for you, that he looks at you with compassion. Someone who sees your need and took your place. Jesus has compassion. So, so what should we do? Well, number one, I think from this passage, it's really hard to avoid. We should ask. So if, as you think back through Matthew 8 and 9, who does Jesus turn away? Who does he turn away? Think all the way through, like the 11 miraculous healing. Who does he turn away? Scary, unclean people, scary people possessed by demons. Like, who does he turn away? No one. No one. Well, there are people, he says, better think about what you're doing. So if you look back at uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, are you sure? Have you thought about this? I just want to know that you've thought about this before you sign up. And another time, a disciple comes to him and says, I'm ready to follow you, but first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, well, I'm not sure you're ready to follow me yet because I'm not sure you have your priorities straight. Jesus doesn't turn these people away. He says, are you sure? Are you sure? Have you counted the cost? But man, the people that come to Jesus and ask for help, he helps. Again and again and again and again. Ask him for help. Man, ask him for help when you're harassed. When you're harassed by disease, by demons, temptation, ask him for help. Ask him for help. Ask him for help when you're thrown down. Ask him for help. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. We have to trust his timing. Because remember, we live between the trees. And so, you know, you're, you ask him for help, but we're not going to go back to Eden before sin and the curse and sorrow and death. We're not going to go back to Eden, and we're not in heaven yet. So ask him for help, but remember where we live. We live between the trees. We live between Eden and heaven, and so we're going to continue to live with sorrow and sadness and brokenness. But ask for help, believing that, remember the promise in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11? that he makes everything beautiful in its time. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that he makes everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into a man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to end. And this is the picture that I've showed. This is the third time now about this verse saying, God is making everything beautiful in its time, but we can't know. So this is kind of God's view. Everything is beautiful in its time. This is probably our view, and we don't know how it all happens. He sees the beautiful pattern that he's making with your life, and you tend to see the carnage <laughs> and, and the train wreck and the frustration and the sorrow and the confusion of, like, why did this happen? And maybe later on, looking back, you'll get to see the beautiful pattern. Maybe it won't be until heaven that you get to see the beautiful pattern. I was grieving with a friend of mine for some stuff he was going through, and I, I just reminded him, man, it's not your job to figure it out. It's your job to surrender and stay faithful. Believing that Romans 8, 28 through 30 is true. That he's redeeming this for good. That he's using it to make us more and more like Jesus. And that is beautiful. So Jesus has compassion. So what we should do is, number one, we should ask for help. Number two, we want to trust his timing. And number three, we want to pray for laborers. And so pray for laborers. Earnestly, this is what Jesus says at the end of this passage. So at the end, very end of Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers out into his harvest. It's his field. They're his people Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. That's what he calls himself, the Lord of the harvest. Pray that he sends laborers out. And I, I encourage you, pray for the patents. They're here. I saw them. There they are. I, pray for the patents. They're out. They're doing the work. But also, don't pick. Do both. Pray for laborers here in Allegan. And, and, and you might be like, well, I don't know, like, I think Allegan is a nice little town where nothing bad happens and most people go to church. I talk to people that work in social services and they're like, one of the barriers we have is that people actually think that. Man, volunteer with Love, Inc. And you'll see some very stable homes in, in, you know, in good, good, good spots, but you'll see really, really not stable homes in hard spots where there's people that are harassed and thrown down. Volunteer with Kids Hope. You know, some of our Kids Hope families are a great spot. The kid just needs a little extra attention. Great. Some of them, man, they're at risk. Scary situations where people are harassed and thrown down. Volunteer with our friends over at Safe Harbor where kids are neglected and sexually abused. Where people are harassed and thrown down. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers.
What's scary is how closely chapter 10 follows after chapter 9. So Jesus encourages the disciples to pray, and I think a lot of us would be, okay, okay, I could pray. But what happens in chapter 10, verse 1, after Jesus encourages them to pray, very quickly, in fact, worryingly quickly, they become answers to their prayers, and they are equipped and sent out into the field to do the work. So, what is Jesus calling you to ask for based on his compassion? How are you harassed? How are you thrown down? What field has he put on your heart to pray for? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you see us with compassion. That you see how we are harassed and how we are thrown down and how you took our place and were harassed and thrown down for us. Lord, I pray that you would bring healing and hope to each one here and that you keep us on mission. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.